If you had the opportunity in 2021 to chat with whomever we elect as president, what would you say? What advice would you offer? What changes would you suggest? What if God were an advisor to the president in 2021? We're continuing the series titled Chats with the President in 2021, but the subtitle is Stories and Lessons for Anyone with Any Influence. And we're looking at the stories in the scriptures of advisors going to political leaders, pharaohs, governors, emperors, kings, to give them advice or to chat with them. I want to thank Andy Stanley and his church for much of the content of this series. And we're doing this series for two reasons. Reason number one is these are important principles to consider as we vote. And since voting is going to happen much earlier than November this year, I want to talk about this now. But just to be clear, I'm not going to be giving you any advice about who you should vote for. Suggestion or reason number two that we're doing this. These principles apply to anyone with any influence, not just the president. And as you're painfully aware, and I probably don't need to remind you, this season has been challenging for all of us. And it's been brutal for some of us, financially, emotionally, relationally, professionally, academically, that we are all picking up the pieces of our lives and trying to move forward the best that we can. But many of us are not simply navigating ourselves through this difficult time. We are helping other people move forward as well. Maybe it's family members or team members or employees or students neighbors, or maybe just members of the community. That if you're a parent, you're a business owner, you're a manager, you're a teacher, you're a coach, a city or state official, that there's people looking to you and to me for inspiration, for direction, and most importantly, they're looking for hope. That leading people during normal times is difficult enough, but leading people in a crisis and through a pandemic is incredibly challenging. And not only that, no one has really prepared us for all that we're going through. A pandemic, combined with an economic shutdown while navigating racial injustice during an election year in a political climate that is quite polarized. Like, there's no map for that. There's no instruction manual for that. And yet all of us are sort of going through this together because all of us don't have the answers. All of us aren't really sure exactly what to do. And while much of this sort of feels new, there's a component of this that's not so new. That uncertainty is a permanent part of life. Uncertainty is why the world needs leaders. It's the reason why families or your company or state or our nation need good leaders. And so in this series, we're talking about the things that we would chat with the president in 2021. Now, these things are important, are always important for leaders, but during times of uncertainty, they are even more important than ever. And last week, we started the series with an interesting historical narrative around the Babylonian Empire and the start of the Persian Empire involving a man named Daniel. And we sort of looked at and were reminded that everyone is accountable for the management of the temporary influence, of their temporary influence. That leadership is just influence that we manage. It's sort of like it's on loan to us from somebody. It's temporary and we are accountable. Now, if you're a theist or a Jesus follower specifically, we also believe that there's some sort of divine component to this as well. Now today, the next chat that we should have with the president really does also apply to everyone with any level of influence. And it's around the principle that every leader exercises authority on two levels. One level is easily apparent and immediately apparent. The other level becomes apparent. One level uh, determines a leader's influence in a defined context. The other de determines a leader's influence beyond that context. And what is immediately apparent is positional authority. A parent, a, a mom or dad, a, a boss, a manager, a supervisor, a coach, or a teacher. That we pay attention to those people because they have a position or a role 
in our lives. And the president has positional authority because he or she is the president, right? Now, the second level of authority sort of goes beyond a position or a role, but it has everything to do with influence. And the people who have the most influence in your life and probably in my life usually have little to no authority over us. But there's just something about them that gives them influence in our lives, that they have authority that goes beyond just a title or beyond even a certain time frame, that they have moral authority. And they have moral authority because there's an alignment between what they say and what they do. There's an alignment between what they expect of us and what they expect of themselves. There's an alignment between who they claim to be and who we discover they actually are. That moral authority is the credibility that they've earned from walking their talk. That really moral authority equals influence. And when there's a difference between what someone says and what someone does, when there's a difference between what someone expects of us and what someone expects of themselves, what happens? We lose respect for them. And they consequently lose influence in our lives because we are more easily influenced by people we respect. And moral authority makes people and you more respectable. And when someone lacks moral authority, it's sort of hard to hear what they're saying. Not because of what they're saying, but because of who they are. Now, for some of you, this next example might be a little bit painful. But if you grew up with a parent who struggled with a substance abuse or had a gambling addiction or a habit or sort of anything that undermined the stability in your home, you get this. Because it was sort of hard to take the advice or the discipline from them, not because of what they were saying, but because of who was saying it and the decisions that you knew that contributed to who they were. And the bottom line is positional authority provides people with influence within a context for a limited time. Again, a boss, a supervisor, a teacher, a coach, but moral authority provides people with influence in a variety of contexts, in various contexts for an indefinite period of time. Now, for some of you, the best example of this is Pastor Tim and Robin Isbell, who used to be the pastors here until 2010. But they haven't been the pastors here since then. And yet, for many of you, if you know them, they probably hold some level of moral authority in your lives, even though they have no official leadership position in our church. The Old Testament or Jewish scriptures gives us a courtside seat to a leader whose moral authority gave him extraordinary influence during a time of national instability and uncertainty. Nehemiah was a Jewish exile living in Persia in the 5th century BC, and he was the personal attendant or servant of King Artaxerxes I. Now at this time, the Jewish people had not been independent for about 250 years. First it was the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and now the Persians. And where we left off last week, Cyrus the Great had conquered Babylon. And this was about 130 years before the story we're going to read today. And Cyrus the Great encouraged all the Jewish people to return home if they wanted. Some of the people returned home while others stayed. Nehemiah's family was one of the families who stayed behind in what was now Persia. But the Jews who went back to Israel had a terrible time. They struggled economically, militarily for decades, mostly because the walls around the city of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt since Nebuchadnezzar came a hundred or so years before that. And the neighbors around the city constantly took advantage of that. Now, Nehemiah had heard what was going on in his family's homeland and what was happening, and he was heartbroken. But he comes up with a plan and he shares it with his, his boss, King Artaxerxes. And he sort of comes up with this plan to go and help these people, even though he already has a prestigious position. Well, the king not only grants his request, but he actually funds his request. And he gives him the title of governor 
over Judah. Now, um, if you didn't grow up in church, you might not know that Nehemiah is most known for how quickly he was able to take the people in the city of Jerusalem and help them to rebuild the walls around the city. Now, during this time, he gained a level of um, a measure of uh, moral authority because he was actually willing to work on the wall himself, not actually just tell people, but actually work on it himself. That he actually didn't expect other people to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. But I'm not going to focus on that part of the story today about rebuilding the wall. That's for another time. Today, though, I want to focus on something a little bit different. That after Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for several years, he started to discover something even more dangerous than the gaps in the wall. He uncovered the root cause of the economic problems in the city. That before he got there, the wealthy landowners and merchants from outside the city of Jerusalem had begun making loans at extremely high interest rates to the people, the Jewish people. And this just decimated the economy. But when Nehemiah shows up, he actually uses his own money to pay off the loans and cancel almost all of the loans. And eventually, suddenly, all of a sudden, the people have money and it sort of gave a jump start to the economy. But over time, Nehemiah begins to hear some disturbing rumors. Basically, he starts to hear that the wealthy Jews, many living in Jerusalem now, were starting to do to their own people what these people outside of the city had done to their own people. They start making loans to the poor people and requiring them to put their wives, their children, and their farms as collateral on the loans. Then they foreclose on the loans, take the farm, and control the grain prices. When Nehemiah finds out, he is furious. And in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, which was sort of like a journal for Nehemiah, he actually records how he responded when he found this out. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can open that up. You can also go to the notes section of the chat, or you can just stay on the screen. We'll put the verses and stuff on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to start in verse 6. When I heard their complaints, and the complaints he's talking about are the people that have been taken advantage of, I was very angry, Nehemiah says. Verse 7. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. Now, he thought first and then acted, which is another good leadership principle. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. And at the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again. So when Nehemiah got there, again, the people were in so much debt that he used his own money to help get them out of debt. But now he finds that their own people are selling them into slavery, and he's going to have to use his own wealth again, and he's already given a lot of money away, and he's going to have to do the very same thing again. But this time he's paying for people to get out of slavery that were bought into slavery by their own people. It just doesn't make any sense. Continuing on, how often must we redeem them? How often must I do this? <laughs> and they had nothing to say in their defense. Verse 9, Then I pressed further, What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Like, do you realize what you have done? Like, our neighbors are laughing at us. We're like the laughing stock of the region. Like, we can't even follow our own laws. And we're like, we're hurting our own security and our own economy. And like, what are we doing? He says, I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending to the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. Now, according to the Jewish law, the Jews were encouraged to lend to fellow Jews, especially to the poor, but they could not charge interest. They also could not take important property as collateral like land or work animals. And these wealthy Jews are guilty of all of that. Continue on verse 11. You must restore their fields, vineyards, and olive groves and homes to them this very day. 
and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Well, Nehemiah is no fool and he does not trust the people. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. Sort of a parallel American symbol is putting your hand on a Bible and making an oath or taking an oath and swearing, right? Verse 13, I shook out the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. And the people did as they promised. And they returned everything they had stolen and they canceled the loans. And if that seems a little bit unrealistic or a little bit idealistic, I completely get that. But when you understand the backstory and you understand who Nehemiah was as a person, their response makes a little more sense. That the reason that Nehemiah's words carried so much weight was the 12 years before or since he had come to Jerusalem. That his reputation stood in stark contrast to all of his previous, all of the previous governors of the city. Verse, four, or verse 14. For the entire 12 years that I was governor, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. He started giving them some historical context. Neither I nor my officials drew our official food allowance. That as the governor of Judah and Jerusalem, they had the legal right to collect taxes for personal income, on top of being given a food allowance from the local farmers. But during his 12 years as governor, not once did he exercise those rights or those entitlements. In fact, the very contrast to that, he used his own money to buy food and to buy back his people out of slavery. Verse 15, the former governors, though, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. That the previous governors abused their authority and their privilege, and the wealthy citizens that Nehemiah has already addressed, they were simply following the cues from their leaders. But Nehemiah was different. Verse, uh, on verse 15, But because I feared God, Nehemiah said, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. That Nehemiah's example was, I'm not willing to ask others to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And on top of that, Nehemiah says, he and his servants did not acquire any land. That property ownership then, like today, is a sign of power. And Nehemiah says, I'm not going to use that power. He did not enrich himself at the people's expense. He came to do what he meant to do, to rebuild the wall and restore the economy. Verse 17, I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. Verse 18, yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. That 12 years of walking the talk gave weight to Nehemiah's words. That 12 years of expecting of himself what he expected of others gave him influence. 12 years of carrying a burden financially instead of putting it on the people. 12 years of living a lifestyle without uh, entitlement. It showed the people that they mattered, that they were important. And it swayed and moved the wealthy, noble Jewish people to follow him. That is a good leader. That is what good leaders do that we would follow. 
And that is the leader that we should become, a leader with moral authority. Moral authority is always important, but it's an essential during times of disruption and uncertainty. Here's why. Those who are looking to us want to know if we can be trusted, because trust is earned, trust is influence. You don't trust your parents because of what they required you to do. You trust or don't trust your parents because of what they required of themselves to do. And the same is true for me, the same is true for you, and the same is true for the president in 2021. That moral authority can take years to acquire, but only one unguarded moment to lose. That we are one decision, one word, one reaction away from damaging the influence that goes beyond our position. And then when you mess up, own it quickly, because that is the only way to start rebuilding moral authority. Andy Stanley says, when you trust, we trust people who make mistakes, but we do not trust people who make excuses. That we don't trust those people who make excuses because they're only looking out for themselves. And you can be a positional leader without moral authority, but not a leader worth following. You cannot maintain or gain influence without moral authority. And people are generally celebrated for their moral authority, not their positional authority. So here's a prayer for the president in 2021 and for any of you with any influence. God, help me to have the wisdom to know what is right and the courage to do that, even when it costs me. Because God has given you a sphere of influence. And that's not just for your benefit. It's for the benefit of others, right? Someone needs to see your example. Someone needs to hear your voice. So protect your moral authority at all costs. That your influence is an opportunity for God to work through your life to make the world a better place. So what would I tell the president in 2021? What would I tell you? What would I tell remind myself? Everyone wants to follow leaders with moral authority, not just positional authority. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story of Nehemiah. Thank you for this historical example of, of someone leading with their moral authority, of doing the right thing even when it costs them. And it cost Nehemiah money. It cost him time. It cost him energy. He left a prestigious position to go and help rebuild um, the city, to help these people to come out of slavery. So God, for us, we might not have the same magnitude of a position, but yet we have the same opportunity to live into the moral authority that you have given us maybe an opportunity for. And yet for some of us, maybe we've already done some things to damage that. Really, for all of us, we have. So God, would you help us to own up to those moments when we've messed up? Would you help us to own up to the times when we've damaged our moral authority? And would you help us to build it back over time with trust? And would you help us to pray the prayer? God, would you help me to have the wisdom to know what is right? And would you give me the courage to do that? God, would you please be with us? Would you please be with our leaders right now? Would you help them to, to value the importance of moral authority? Would you help us as we make decisions about elections coming up and all the different things in the direction of our country? Would you help us to make the wise decisions? Would you help us to be the leaders that are worth following? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.